lost the identity. They, it's, a, it's a war out there. It's a war out there. I, the most controversial, the most controversial movie out there at the moment, maybe 10 years ago, it, it was, or 30 years ago, it would have been something on Darwinism. The most controversial movie out at the moment, it's called What is a Woman? You cannot make this stuff up. It's, it's hated, the guy that's made them, they're going, well, what is a woman? Just tell us what a woman. People lose their minds. It's, it's as if you're insulting someone. Like, you will not define me. Like, how did we get there? Like, oh, is he going to go there? We are going to go there, and we're going to spend some time there. If you are battling with something, so we, Paul writes about, he battles with a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is. People speculate, but he never tells us what it is because we would then see something that, that is our crutch. But if you're battling with something, I get that. You may be battling with your gender identity. You may be battling with anger issues. You may be battling with an addiction. Whatever you're battling with, I'm sorry. I really am. And there is only one solution. See, the... the, the, the I, a year of youngsters, so they're under the legal age, they want to be emancipated from their parents. I want to be set free from them. Because I want to say whatever I want to say, but I don't want to listen. I want to, you have to see me and notice me, but I don't want to pay attention to anyone. I want to be free to believe whatever I want to believe, but I'm not open to hear instruction from godly people to tell me what I should believe. The world's a mess. It has been since the Garden of Eden. You go, well, it's the worst it's ever been. Now, you feel that way because you're here. I'm not saying it's your fault, but you're here. They were sacrificing babies Babylonian times. They were up to crazy things. You, but we're living in this era. God has chosen to place you in this world at this time for a time such as this. People are broken, and this is the reality. Brokenness is painful. When you're broken, it's painful. So you're, you're offending me. You're saying I'm broken. My friend, if you have anguish in your heart because you don't know who you are, you're in pain. And often what we do is we then stick something over that to make us feel better. Multiple sexual partners, a, a, a warped perception of what a relationship looks like. It can be an addiction. It can be alcohol. It can be coming up with your own ideas. It's Jesus. What does that mean? Because I say that in this incredible church, people go, preach it. So I'm going to try. But what does that mean? If you, so we can go to the extremes of where people are broken. But if we do not get to the root of who people are, if you don't know who you are, we have a problem. We start off with, if I can take a, a typical suburban mom, or let's just, say, let's just start with a typical suburban lady. 
She goes to school, she works hard, but she has to look a certain way. She cannot be overweight, or she better be overweight because you're trying to be skinny and you're trying to fat shame. So you have to look a certain way. And then if you want to have a really good job, you have to go and study certain things. And you'll be identified by what you've studied, what you do, and who you hang out with. Then you'll finish college, you'll finish whatever school level. You'll go, you'll go and get married. Because that's the thing to do, because if you don't have an identity, go and get a spouse, because they're going to help you. And then once you get married, then everything's fine. Everything's easy. Yay! So I'm baffled by uh, Solomon having so many wives. There's no way as a guy that wise. Anyway. I love my wife and we're good. Leave me alone. You get married, you have kids. Well, my identity is going to be my children. Then you look at your children and you go, that's not me. But now because you've had children, your body looks different, it feels different, you have different feelings and emotions, you have all these things that you're trying to process. And then eventually your kids get old enough, they leave home, now it's empty nest syndrome, and then you have grandchildren, and then after grandchildren, then you retire, you retire, find a new job, find a hobby, and eventually just... In that whole process, who were you? It's what, we, it's what, no, it's what you did, you know, you're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're a preacher, you're a pastor, what, that's your identity now. Because I see people who you think they've got it all together. They have a title behind their name. You can call them by their name. He's so and so. And you're thinking, well, he has got it all together. I promise you, they probably don't. And this is what I want to speak about this morning. It's the danger of us trying to establish who we are. Because if I can establish my own identity, then I can determine what my purpose is. So I'm not happy with my gender, I'll choose another one. I'm not happy with my sexual orientation, I'll be different. We have to differentiate between the person and their actions. However, you are the sum of your actions. You become that. If you're going to embrace that stuff, you've got a problem. Jesus is the solution, but what does that look like? When we read in Genesis, for me, Genesis, it's one of the most, I mean, obviously it's the first book in the Bible, but it's one of those foundational texts when it's the, you work on the law of first mention, where it's mentioned the first time, it's establishing a standard. Wherever in Scripture, when it mentions it for the very first time, it's, that's the baseline standard. It's called the law of first mention. Genesis chapter 1, 26, you probably know this. Then God said, let us... Make man, us, speaking about the Trinity, make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, including the thing that crept and deceived man in the first place. But that doesn't say that in the text now. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them and God blessed them. Male and female, there's an intent to multiply, to be image bearers of Christ, to be able to have a revelation of what our purpose is. But who carries our identity? He does. So when you're confused about your identity, you have to go back to him. When you don't know what you're doing, when you don't know what your purpose is, you have to go to the one who created you with a purpose and a plan in his mind. Well, you know this. 
God has made you to walk in a certain way. So I'm going to say this. If God has made you, and I'm going to use my daughter as an example. God has made her uh, a young girl. And um, she's going to stay a young girl forever, never get married, and always just be with mom and dad. <laughs> no, I pray for her husband already. God help him. He better have courage. <laughs> but as a young girl from South Africa, busy in the USA, for, he's given her the gifts and the talents to operate in that realm. If she decides, I want to be in a different family, a different gender, God has equipped her with a set of gifts, and he's got a call in her life, and her gifts match that call. God is saying, as soon as you step out of that, you're derailing the call, and he's looking. If she goes, well, I'm done with my family. I'm sick of this stuff. I'm going to go live somewhere else. I've had it to them. I'm not hearing God. I'm just tired. What happens then she steps away with the gifting that she has on her life to function in this circle, and she steps in here to function in a circle that she's not equipped to deal with. And all of a sudden, she's going, oh, wow, everything's falling apart. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to handle this. Wisdom and humility must then prevail, and then you step back. And I've done this. I've done something, and I've looked after a month, and I go, well, that was stupid. <laughs> well done, Derek. Then you step back into what you were doing and you're going, well, Lord, uh, it would have been great if you gave me a heads up. And then he normally says, I did. Uh, and, and then you, you carry on. To function in the plan and the purpose of God, you need to know that you have to go back to him. And you also have to understand that sometimes he's going to correct you. Sometimes he's going to call you out and he's not always happy with your life. I love the story where the, where the, the uh, religious rulers, they, they bring the adulterous woman. We don't even know her name. We just know it's like, this is the whore. Oh, sorry, did that offend you? Yeah. This is the adulterous woman. And this is what Jesus does. When they kept on questioning him, because they were busy antagonizing him to say, do we put her to death? Because they'd have to according to the law of Moses, but they weren't allowed according to the Roman law. And they're trying to trap Jesus. He straightened up and says to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. I love that. Stop the accusations. Again, he stooped down because he had been writing in the sand and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up, asked the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and sin no more. I love you as you are. I'll defend you right where you are. I'm there for you. I love the fact that the law gets written in stone, but the, I believe Jesus was possibly writing the sins of all these guys in the sand. You. He just writes the name of the, the woman he's messing with. And you, that's what you're up to. And he's, he's writing. I don't know. I'm, a, I'm an imagination guy. And he's writing in the sand. These guys look at it. it. It convicts them. They leave. Jesus stands up and he says to her, I've got your back. I'm, now go and stop doing what you've been doing. Part of what we're called to is to be embraced by God, but we sometimes, generally, normally, most of the stuff, we have to stop doing what we've been doing. Not for Him to love us. Plan, purpose, and call. How do we do that? How do we do it? And people will say, well, You've got to pray and read the Bible. Thank you. There has to be some way and something that can help us. And in my mind, as I was preparing this, I'm seeing this huge 
problem, this world that's in a mess. And I see the book of Ephesians stand there with a, a cloak, kind of like a superhero. Ephesians, our identity. I must, don't do it now. In my mind, I expected you to get excited and to clap and like, come on. No, don't do it. No, don't. Don't. The moment is gone. One day we'll have double services and then you can prep the next meeting and they'll <laughs> clap. Them. The book of Ephesians, this whole thing on our identity. I want to give you a bit of a rundown on the, the church in Ephesus, this incredible church in Ephesus. When you read the book of Acts, a couple of churches are mentioned, but the, 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 the one that stands out is you've got your church in Jerusalem, you know, where it was going so well and there's chaos that breaks out and that's where everyone gets sent from, but the church is exploding. You have the church of Antioch, which is really noticeable because that's where they're sending guys out, really a missional church. And suddenly you get to this church in Ephesus. And this church, so Ephesus, just so that I can show you where it is, it's, it's in modern day Turkey, not the food. There's a country. On the Mediterranean, that's called Turkey. On the coastline, there's Turkey. On the coastline, there's a little place called Ephesus. So a guy by the name of Apollos, and you see this in Acts chapter 18. Apollos goes and he ends up in Ephesus. And uh, he's a well-trained guy amongst the Jews. And he starts teaching, and he's, there's something of life released over this place. The, the people are getting interested. They're hearing about the way. That's what, the, what Christianity was called. They're hearing about the way. His name's Jesus. He's the one, him crucified. He, raised from the, he was raised from the dead. He brings eternal life. And we have this incredible church that's being birthed. And the, this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who were uh, really good friends with Paul, they go and they challenge him because Apollos is getting all the theology really wrong. They correct him, and I think it caused Apollos just to be a little bit rattled. There was just something that challenged him, and he ends up leaving, and he goes to another place called Corinth, where Paul had been, the apostle, and Paul ends up going to Ephesus, and Paul gets there, and he meets up there, 12 people there, and he says, you've obviously heard about the gospel. They go, yes, and they said, how were you baptized? They said, in water, which is great, but into what were you baptized? And they'd never heard of the Holy Spirit, and Paul prays for them. They receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit rushes upon them. And they start prophesying and praying in tongues, which I love that because it kind of really kicks cessationism out the way. If you don't know what that is, it's fine. But what it's saying is that the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophesying, praying in tongues, was not for the elite, the few apostles, but it's for those that have been called with the gospel. And you have this incredible moment in Acts chapter 19. And the church in Ephesus that starts with these 12 men, all of a sudden there's life. Paul releases this life. Paul, it says that he was in the synagogue for three months negotiating and chatting. And there's this incredible life until eventually they, they get upset with him. They, make, they speak against the way. And, and Paul goes and he ministers for two years. And it was called the Hall of Tyrannus. And he ministered there. But this is, that's not the fun part. What's happening in Ephesus in this moment is they've got the handkerchiefs of Paul. That when they take that to the sick, the sick get healed. You see, he's working so hard that he's sweating Holy Spirit juice. And I say that because that's all I can figure out. The handkerchief touches him. It goes to somebody. They get healed. And I think they mentioned it in Scripture because it's a model that we can follow. Not a formula, but it's something. And, and I've done it. I've prayed for people. I keep a handkerchief in my backpack. I get to pray. If people come and say to me, I have faith, do you have a handkerchief? I go, I do. I'm not going to say to you, I have faith, take my handkerchief. Not a snot rag, sweat rag. Totally different. 
And Paul is driving out demons in general meetings. It's phenomenal. And these seven exorcist guys, they specialized in exorcism. They were, of, they were the sons of Siva, the, 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 one of the Jewish leaders. They go and they decide, let's go make money doing exorcisms. So they rock up at this person who has demons. And they go, in the name of Paul, well, by the power of Paul, in the name of Jesus, who Paul proclaims and professes, leave. And the demon speaks back to them. It says, Jesus we know. Paul we've heard of. Who are you? And it says, the demon in the person the person manifests and beats up these guys that they run out naked. That's a cool church. I mean, I, I, when last did we see naked people running out of a church? You see, you say, oh, I like a more traditional church. That's a traditional church. Oh, I like more traditional worship. You mean David dancing naked? No, I enjoy, hmm, hmm, hmm. Oh, you mean a dead church. Sorry, did I say that? <laughs> you see, when the Spirit of God is alive in the church, the Spirit of God is going to move in the church. <laughs> this, church, this, this church in Ephesus, it causes such havoc because they had this massive temple over there. It was this temple, temple to Artemis and or Diana, and they, it was their pagan worship. That they had such an impact. The Christians had an impact on the economy that they weren't buying any more of the silversmiths' shrines. So they weren't buying the demon stuff anymore. That it affected the economy of the most prosperous city, probably in that whole area. That when this happened, Demetrius, one of the silversmiths, he gets so upset, he incites a riot. When last did a church incite a riot? I'm from South Africa. That's what we do. Not the church, the people in general. It's there's this chaos that breaks out. And I'm not preaching anarchy, but I'm preaching life of God in the church has to impact the life outside. It gets so bad the politicians have to get involved. Ooh. I like that. We're all trying to get involved with the politicians. Love it. It's great. They need godly wisdom. I love it, the fact that the politicians had to get involved because the church was having such a profound impact in the city. That's the church in Ephesus. It's just this life being released. There are no more pagan temples to Artemis or Diana. There's some offshoot worship. But there are temples... There are places of worship for Jesus Christ peppered all over the world in great density because the word of God is real. The Christians are busy with the job and we're getting it done. That's the introduction just to the little city of Ephesus. So Paul writes this letter. They've done really well. Before I get there, I must, I must touch on this. By the time we get to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, Paul is addressing, oh, sorry, this whole church that Paul was involved in, Jesus has to address this church in the book of Revelation. It's one of the seven churches. It's the apocalyptic churches. It's a great reference of, if you look at what happens in the churches, you can see it almost as church history. You can see it as a life cycle of a church. But at the same time, this is a real church that Jesus is, was addressing, this church in Ephesus. And despite having done everything so well, this is what happens in, in the book of Revelation. I have this one charge to make against you, that you have left, abandoned the love that you had at first. You have deserted me, your first love. 
Um, they did the deliverance stuff. They did the healing stuff. They did all the stuff. We must never let the stuff become more important than him. Okay? We can get so focused on a ministry that it's, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. We forget our love for him is primary. It's secondary. It's everything. When we lose that, Jesus steps in and says, I have this against your church. I never want him to have to say that to us. Guys, I love Dayspring, but I have this against you. I want him to look at us as a whole and go, well done, my good and faithful servants. Man, you guys messed up often. <laughs> but you loved me and you loved each other well. That's it. That's it. Okay, so we get to this letter of Ephesus, to the Ephesians church. The first three chapters, chapters one to three, is doctrine. From chapter four to six, it's duty. So the first bit, it tells you, you know, the theology of why we should be doing things. The, the second half tells us how we do these things. There's a guy by the name of Chuck Missler. He makes a statement. He said, you inherit the wealth of the kingdom by faith. You inherit the wealth, inherit, you get the wealth of the kingdom by faith. You invest in the kingdom by works. We get the wealth, we get everything that we need through faith in Christ Jesus. But then we sow and invest in the kingdom by what we do. You with me? The book of Ephesians covers that well. Let's get started. By the way, you can read the book of Ephesians, read it at home, see what God's saying to you. It takes 18 minutes to read this out loud. It's a 14-minute read if you just go through it really quickly. It's, the, it's one of the easiest books of the most comprehensive books. And this is what I love about it. I was busy preaching on the book of Joshua when I was still in SA before we came over. And they equate the book of Ephesians to the book of Joshua. Because the book of Ephesians will teach us how to live in the promised land the same way the book of Joshua taught the Israelites to go live in Canaan. This book holds the secrets to our identity in Christ Jesus so that we can live in the promises of Christ Jesus. Let's stop right there. Before I read this word, I want us to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we open this book, this letter, this incredible letter that Paul wrote to the church, we'll take it, we'll apply it. This will become part of who we are. That this letter, as I read it, it'll, it'll settle into the very DNA of our lives, of our family, of this church. That our identities will be established. We will not be known as lost. We will be known to be found in Christ on the level that every person who's lost, every person that is broken, will come in to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. So Lord God, I pray, have the word accomplished that I could not do it ever. Let this word accomplish what only you can have it accomplish. Your life and your life in abundance, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to work through a whole chunk of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all. If we can just work through that this morning, I'm happy. Mission accomplished. Paul starts this letter. And I love the way he starts with it. He's setting his identity. The book is about identity. So he goes, I, Paul. So who cares? You know, so this is the guy whose name used to be Saul. He was the assassin of Christians, Christian leaders. That's what he did. He had the paperwork and he organized the paperwork that he could kill Christians. And he endorsed the killing of Christians. He stood by when they stoned Stephen to death. He had the clothing of the guys as they killed this Christian deacon who had been ordained and set up. He stands there and he approves of it and he had the papers to back it up. That's Saul. 
Saul, the name invokes something of a respect. It would have been a well-respected name. His parents would have been religious leaders. And you've got this guy who's going by the name of the first Israel, Israel's first king. Saul, King Saul. My name's Saul. My family associates our bloodline to, he wasn't part of the bloodline of Saul, but it's, I'm associating with that. I want to be part of that. That's what my name means. Saul, the significant one. He has an encounter with Jesus. He's standing, he's on the way to Damascus. He has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? Jesus challenges him. <laughs> and then Jesus says, now your name's going to be Paul. And it wasn't so that it will be difficult to change the S to a P on his business card or checks. The significance is the word Paul means small or humble. So from the very onset of this book, Paul writes, Paul, me, the small one, the humble one, not the one that you knew, not the one that used to kill, not the one that thought a lot about himself, not the one that he relied on his history. Paul, the small, the humble one, I'm writing to you because I have an identity that Jesus Christ has given me. It's me, it's Paul. He places this incredible value on it. He then goes, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Apostle is a sent one. I'm going to work through what an apostle is later in this book because we work, we'll work through the fivefold gifts found in Ephesians 4 and actually looking exactly what an apostle, what a prophet, what a teacher, what an evangelist is, how it works. I don't want to sit on that. But he says, as a, an apostle, by the will of God. Can you write that about your life, that everything I've done is by the will of God? I'm Derek. I'm a pastor. Extraordinary husband phenomenal dad and going back to the husband remarkable are you taking notes sweetie I can see you typing something there you're sending me a text alright if I can say this is who I am by the will of God if I can take my identity and go but can I do that can I really do that with every part of my life Derek and we start all oh, your name, and you start putting some of your challenges in there by the will of God. Would we be able to go, that's not the will of God, that's not the will of God, that's not the will of God. I'm going to take that out. I want to be able to put my title down. My name is Derek. I have the most blue blood surname, Chester Brown. And it, it's a crazy way how I got this surname. Just really criminal family that they had to change their, their last name to Chester Brown. Nobody would choose to have a name this complicated or this long or this difficult. And please do not call me Chester. Are we good? <laughs> do you see how I suddenly added an identity to myself by the way people must reference me? When people insult you or mock you or ridicule you on any level, have you established something of an identity of who you are? I do this, I do this thing when I mentor kids and I'll, I'll, um, they, have to, they have to chant. And I take, not chant around the cauldron and that. I'm saying, I'd get the kids to chant, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, why did he even let me come? I'll do a whole camp. And they have to say this, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, why did he even let me come? And by the end of the camp that I do with them, the, their response, I'll meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. I say, when somebody speaks against you, you have to say to them, you don't know me. If an adult insults a child on any level, you're being silly. Oh, you don't know me. As an adult, we'll have a different conversation. But as a child, I've, I teach children when somebody ridicules you, when somebody mocks you, I'm speaking to you now. Perhaps this is something you have to learn when it comes to your boss. If they go, well, you messed up, that was stupid, you're stupid. You go, oh, no, you just don't know me. 
because it doesn't help flinging this up and down. It's, you don't know me. You don't know me. If you're insulting towards me, you don't know me. And I don't mean you don't know what I'm able to do to you. I'm saying you made that statement because you don't know who I am. If you allow those statements to become part of who you are, you're starting to allow other people to define your identity. Never ever let anyone define your identity. Your identity is in Jesus. Genesis 1. He made me in his image. That's who I am. That's who I am. And carries on. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. By the way, I love the way he says this. Because he says, you need to be in Christ kind of the same way that you're in Ephesus. When you're in Ephesus, you abide by the rules, the laws, and the legislation of Ephesus. You cannot walk around there and go, well, uh, I can do whatever I want. I don't identify as an Ephesian. I'm just going to do what I want. When you're in Christ, there's a call for us to obey the standards that are in Christ. And it's not, a, it's not a pseudo law. It's not let's make our own laws. I don't like the pastor's tattoos. Let's bring that one back. I don't, I don't like the fact that we do this. I don't like the fact we do that. Let's make our own laws. I think we should behave a certain way. I don't like it when people dance in church. We should make that a law. No, no. When I'm speaking about the laws of Jesus Christ, it's the law that he gave us. It's the commandment to love him and to love each other. And whatever that looks like in loving each other and serving each other. But if I'm in Ephesus, I abide by the rules and reg regulations in Ephesus. When I'm in Christ, I live according to that model. Freedom that Jesus died for is not license. It's not my permit to do whatever I want. It's my permission to come before the Father, holy and blameless in Christ Jesus, and living a life accordingly. And then when you sin, if you sin, when you sin, that you repent and you come back to him. But to have this attitude, I'll do what I want, I'll say what I want, and when it all collapses, I run back to Jesus. It's crazy. That works and there's grace. You're not fulfilling your purpose. You're just surviving. You're just hanging on in there and you're falling with one foot in front of the other and you think you're walking. You're stumbling. But when you're in Christ Jesus, he'll call you to do the wildest things and the craziest things, and he'll add purpose to your life. I don't want to say your life is insignificant without Jesus. I don't have to. The Bible does. Without Jesus, you're nothing. You're nothing. In Jesus, he establishes you. He sets you up. I love the way Paul, he writes here, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the phrase, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it's his title. Jesus is his name. And Christ is his mission. It's not his, it's not his last name. Lord, it's his title. Too many Christians want Jesus to be their Savior. And they don't want him to be Lord. Jesus, get me out of hell. Get me out of trouble. But it's Lord and Savior. It's I'm saved so that I can bow my knee voluntarily before him. Lord, your will be done. Your plans in my life. Your word in my life. Your strategy in my life. That's Lord and Savior. 
by the will of God our Father, do we get that he's our dad? This church does this well. If you, do not, if you don't begin to grasp the depth of God's love for you as a son of God, most of the time I don't refer to sons and daughters of God. I, I keep it just son of God because sons have a better inheritance. And if I've got to be called the bride of Christ, you can, ladies can be called sons of God. This church does, DSSM does it so well, teaching on the Father's heart. But there's a danger if that's all we get. You see, if he's just Father, we have an arrogance. We need to have a confidence. Father, if I grasp that he's my Father, I walk in this incredible royal inheritance. When I grasp that he's God, I serve differently. When he's God, my Father, I have access to heaven. I have access to everything that he has promised. But there's a call to serve. If all I sit with is, is my father, he's my dad, he's daddy, he's dad, yo, dad, what's up? I've been to those prayer meetings. Yo, dad, D again, what's up? That's cool. I never spoke to my dad like that. I had this incredible reverent awe for my dad because I respected him. So I don't mean we come, you know, I never went to my dad, Father, how are you doing? I mean, let's not push her. That's a bit weird. If my kids did that to me, I know they're making a joke. But we come, we approach God with the understanding, his dad, his father, he's, he's this incredible, loving, loving God. But he's God. He's God. He's God. When, when, so, I mean, I love my kids dearly, and they love me, and, and we have fun together, and we have an incredible relationship, but they'll do something when they were smaller. Now they understand me, and they've, they have, uh, we've established boundaries. They do something, and I'll go, <clears throat> they freeze. What? Well, don't do that. Um, and, and you'll hear sometimes it'll happen. I have a bit of a, a raspiness in my voice when I get excited. So when the kids would do something, I'd go, don't do that. Don't do that. They would understand that they've now breached the limit of what they should be doing, and they'd step back. God will sometimes speak to us. When we're messing up or it's not good for ourselves, and he'll go, don't do that. When we stop listening to the, the no's of God, the yes of God is easier. Say, I'm going to do what I want to do, and God bless what I'm doing. No, Lord, by the will of God, I will walk in the lane that you've given me. And then I'm going to run my race, and I'll finish my race to the glory of God the Father in Christ Jesus. Because that's who I serve. I have an incredible understanding I've shared with people this week. I have an incredible understanding of God, my Heavenly Father, because I had a remarkable dad. I have an incredible understanding God of God. Because I have a ridiculous awe of who he is. When he speaks to me, I tremble. I have an understanding that when the God of the universe speaks to me, he's actually being quite serious. He's, he's a loving God and he's a God of joy. He's not frivolous. He's a God of incredible joy. He's not frivolous. If you don't know what frivolous means, you can Google it. It starts with an F. God, Dad. Let's pray.
heavenly Father. Your love overwhelms us. Your kindness overwhelms us. How could we doubt your kindness when you were willing to give us Jesus to buy us, to pay the price for our mess? Lord, I pray that this morning we'll walk out here knowing that we're sons and daughters of the Most High, but we are also called to live a a servant-hearted life. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we'll get it. You're calling us to more. That our identities will be established. Not an identity that we're trying to create, not a persona that we're trying to live, but a true identity in you, Lord God. If you're sitting here this morning, and you may have been coming to this church for a while, you may, be, you may have sat in a couple of these meetings, and you would have heard the phrase, we're going to give you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. And it's that. It's surrendering to Jesus that I may be found in Christ Jesus. You may have been sitting in this church for years. Or today's your first time. I want to invite you to accept the free gift of our Lord Jesus Christ who paid the price for your sins. He gave his life on the cross almost 2,000 years ago, paid the price for all your sins. And if you receive him this morning, will you accept the invitation from this loving Heavenly Father who calls you into a life of purpose. Without him, you are nothing. Not just one day when you die, and you go to heaven that there's a purpose. It's right now in this moment as you surrender your life to Christ, there's purpose and there's victory and there's life and life in abundance. Not an easy life. Please trust me. I'm not calling you into an easy life. I'm calling you into a destiny of purpose. If you're sitting here this morning, for those of you who are joining us online, perhaps you've never given your life to Jesus, you get to be part of this, feel free to message us. But if you're sitting here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered, you've never accepted this gift, I want you to raise your hand. I will not embarrass you in any way so that I know who I'm praying with this morning. If that's you this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, and this morning you're going, today's the day, why waste time? Pop your hand up really quickly. Don't worry about who you're sitting with. Don't worry about who you've come to church with. Don't worry about what other people will think. This is about what God will think. The Word of God says heaven celebrates when one person comes to know Jesus. I'm going to give you a few more seconds. I'm going to linger here. If that's you this morning, you get your hand up real quick. I'm not even going to call you to the front. We're just going to pray together. I'd love to meet with you after the meeting. I don't see any hands. I'm comfortable with that. I will make this call every Sunday, and I'm comfortable if there's no one lifting up their hands. If you're sitting in one of these chairs and you're not lifting your hand when you should be, you should be feeling uncomfortable. Last call. If there's anyone here this morning. Well done. Well done. That is brave. Well done. Well done. <laughs> well done. For me, just while eyes are closed this morning, there is nothing like seeing someone coming to Jesus. So this morning as one person has raised their hand, I want us to, to do this together. If you, you wouldn't mind standing with me. If everyone can stand, if you're able to do so. if it's, We're going to stand together and pray.
with that one person. That one person, lady that raised her hand this morning, is making a public declaration that she's going to commit her life to Christ this morning, and we're going to pray together just with that one person. Just for that one. Ah, we're getting it. We're getting it. Because we pray these prayers. Lord, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, when someone gets saved, heaven celebrates. But us on earth, we sit here. You want to see heaven on earth? We start celebrating like heaven does on earth. If you've given your life to Jesus, one more. I like you said that. I love it. Well done. One more. One more. One more each week. One more each time we gather. One more each time we go to work. One more. One more. One more. Perhaps you're standing here this morning. If you, if you, if you hear this morning, I just want to kind of break this a little bit. If you hear this morning and when the altar call is made, there's something that stirs in you, not because you're unsaved, I'm not speaking to you. I'm saying if it stirs in you, there's something that gets you. It's like, come on, this is, if this stirs, can you just put your hand up? Just, it, it stirs some people when an altar call is made. Put your hand up. Put your hand up. I want to put it up high. Come on. Okay. All right. We have enough evangelists in the house. Bring your, fr- bring your friends. Let's pray together. If you haven't lost your salvation, we're going to pray together. It's wonderful to reaffirm our faith. It's beautiful. You haven't lost your salvation, but we're praying with the one more. Let's pray from the heart. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for paying the price for my sins. This morning I repent. For everything I've done wrong. I surrender to you. This morning I confess with my mouth. As I believe in my heart. That Jesus Christ you are Lord. You died for me. You rose again on the third day. And you have ascended to heaven. I invite you Holy Spirit. To fill me. Baptize me. Make me new. In Jesus' name. I can say this this morning. I can say this this morning. I am a child of God. Amen. So in this moment, we have tables across the sanctuary with juice and little wafers. We're going to break bread. We're going to have communion this morning. It's what you do on a Sunday morning. You do not have to be a member of this church. Uh, you, you just have to be a born-again Christian. And this morning, if you prayed that prayer, that qualifies you to have this meal. If you are not a Christian, please, this is not for you. This is the most exclusive meal on the planet. And, uh, and it costs the most out of any meal on the planet. It costs us, it costs the world Jesus. So if you can go, we have tables at the back, then we have tables in front. Go and grab the juice, grab a wafer, go back to your seats with that, stand with your family, and I'll lead us in communion. Please be happy, smile at each other.
Wonderful. I'm just go stand with some people. If you don't know them, just join their tribe. It's not like you have to share the little cup with them. Go make friends. I'll lead you in prayer, but feel free. You can pray with your friends. I'm just going to lead us really quickly. The wafer represents his body. His body that is broken for us. His body that took the beating and took the whipping. This morning, you get to have healing because it says in the word that by his stripes we are healed. The stripes are on his body. As we eat this, let's start claiming healing over our bodies. Let's start claiming healing. You go, it's just a little bite. No, it's a bite of celebrating what Jesus did for us. That's what we're doing this morning. We're remembering the death and resurrection. So Jesus, we thank you for your body that is broken. We declare that we receive every promise that the word makes about your body. And we receive that as we take this bite in Jesus' name. And then the juice that represents the blood. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I didn't go to church much as a kid, but I remember that song. And if you're standing here this morning and you're feeling a bit broken, a bit empty, there's something lost. So as we drink this, thank you, Jesus, for your blood that washes away our mess, our iniquity, our chaos. We drink this this morning as we surrender to you, as we're in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, I thank you that you took the bitterness for us so that our lives can be sweet, just like that juice was. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, wonderful. Please, fellowship, don't rush. We, 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 we have ample time on our hands this morning. Spend time with friends. Fellowship, hang out. Then, just one last thing. On a Sunday morning, at 9 a.m., the community center is open. We have great coffee, real coffee, real coffee with real stuff in. Come and join us for coffee and cookies and a wonderful time of fellowship. 9 o'clock till 5 to 10, we get to hang out in the community center. That's a great place to bring your friends. Bring your friends. Allow them to come meet some of the leaders and hang out. God bless you. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for joining us online. Have a great afternoon.